Good morning. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Reading today from Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. To God. You guys can take a seat. As always, Paula, well done. Well, let's start with the shirt, because I know a lot of you guys had questions. Um, so I, uh, I had the opportunity last month to meet uh, a woman named Rose. Did a wedding, an African wedding, and uh, Rose has a ministry in, um, in Africa where she works with widows who, uh, they work in microloans and basically helps them create uh, their own businesses. And so um, I, it was her son's wedding, and so she gave me this gift. It's, it was actually made by a woman in Africa. Uh, and then I, when she gave it to me, I was like, I'm totally going to rock that on Sunday. Um, so I bet you guys all feel bad about yourselves now. Um, so anyway, yes, I, I was funny though. It was after first, like a bunch of people like, Hey, so how do we get one of those shirts? I was like, no, 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 no. I'm the cool one. You're not the cool. One. You can't, you can't jump on the train now. All right. Um, all right. So if I don't know you, my name's Sean. I'm the lead pastor teacher us here for Redemption Peoria. Um, I'm going to jump in and, uh, and we're going to uh, unpack some things because we are in a season that is called Advent. And I need to explain what that is because I recognize some, if not a lot of you, don't even know or haven't heard that term before. Um, here's something that you can know just to be aware of as we go into what is called the Advent season, which again, I'll explain here in a second. Um, if you give uh, to Redemption Pure, you call this place your home, you're going to notice every year when we go, the four week, Sundays after uh, Thanksgiving, we devote uh, side offerings meaning this, man, the next four weeks, you're going to spend a lot of money maybe on yourself or your family or whatever it is. And some of you have been intentional. And if not, hopefully you will be intentional about giving to those who don't have. Uh, and last year we uh, spent all of our offering, uh, all of our Advent offering to foster care and adoption. We actually did a worship night where we tried to raise some more money for foster care and adoption, all that. Well, this year uh, we're giving to something that we feel like is at the heart of Jesus. And honestly, I was thinking through it. I don't know if... Republican, Democrat, or even atheists could disagree with what we're giving to, um, which is something called immigrant hope. And what immigrant hope is, uh, and let me just explain, we're not just partnering with, but we're actually creating one in Arizona, is an organization that works with those who are undocumented uh, to get through the process of be being legal, uh, becoming legalized faster, cheaper, um, and honestly, a little bit easier. So if you're like somebody in the room, you're like a hardcore conservative and you're like the, well, they just need to do this the right way, the legal way. One, you might not be aware that that probably is, I mean, in some instances, I'm personally aware of, of a 15 year process. Um, and it's not easy and it costs a lot of money. So you could say that, but it's not easy, but you, I'm hoping you would get behind going, you know what though, if I want them to do it the, the legal way. 
Uh, I would love for it to, to be able to support any way that this is a legal way. It's easier. It's more affordable. So we're working with West Mesa, Redemption West Mesa, who is spearheading this whole thing. You guys, it costs a lot of money. It costs a lot of money to be able to work with the government, as you probably just know in general, um, but also to find the right people to be able to work in those fields, experts and all that. So we're trying to raise as much money as we can to support Immigrant Hope, uh, to be able to come alongside those who are, are trying to do it the right way, um, and be legal here uh, in the U.S. And, and this is all above board. It's great. It just it requires a lot of uh, prep work and, and, and money and time. And so uh, we're going to come alongside West Mesa and give our Advent offering to them. So even on Christmas Eve, we're going to give all of our offering to them, and, and we're excited about all that. So anyway, something to be aware of. So let's explain Advent real quick. Uh, unless you were raised in church, and not just in church, but a hot, what is called high church, you're probably not aware of, of Advent. I was uh, saved at like 16 years old, and I didn't hear of Advent till I was probably 25, and I was in church that whole time. Um, so I get that some of you might not know what it is, so let me just explain real quickly how this whole thing works. Let's first start what happened um, on Thanksgiving, okay? So the moment Thanksgiving dinner is done, uh, and the ongoing joke, of course, in our culture is we don't even wait that long anymore. I think Macy's was having a, a 2 o'clock sale on Thursday, a Black Friday sale, which by definition isn't a Black Friday sale. But anyway, they're having their sales. We're doing whatever. The moment we're putting down our forks, Thanksgiving's over, we are forced to wait four weeks for Christmas. We immediately start processing decorating the house, prepping for the guests that are going to come in. We're going to see smiling faces. Kids' faces are going to light up. We're going to see family members. We're going to feast. We're jacked. But the problem is we can't force that time to go any faster. We don't have time machines. We're not in loop. Like we don't have any ability to be able to push this thing along. So we are forced to do one thing we do not like doing, and that's waiting. So we can rush to the shopping, but we can't make December 25th come any faster. And that waiting period, waiting for the lit up faces, waiting for the food, waiting for the family, that little period there, we're waiting for one thing, the arrival of Christmas, right? So there's Christmas parties along the way. We get Christmas Eve the night before, but we're waiting for Christmas. And that waiting has been celebrated by our brothers and sisters for hundreds of years in the church. And so you may not know this, but there's something called the church calendar. And uh, Redemption uh, Peoria, we, we celebrate the church calendar pretty loosely. There are moments, obviously, where we, we step in and try to do what we can. But um, let me just explain a little bit what that means. Every year, the church has historically gone through the same thing, the same rhythms. And some of which you're aware of. You know of Easter. If you've ever wondered why Easter lands on the Sunday it does, that's all based on the church calendar. Okay? So you're aware of Christmas. You're aware of Easter. You might be aware of Lent. Um, if, if you grew up Catholic, you might have had uh, a cross, a black cross painted on your forehead, a part of the, the whole Lent season. There, that's all part of the church calendar. There's Trinity Sunday, uh, the Epiphany season. Uh, you go into the, the, the time of Christmas itself, and then even leading up to uh, Christmas is what we have our season of Advent for, the four weeks that I just described that we're waiting for. Now, here's, here's the, the trick in all of this. What your friend who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, or maybe you grew up celebrating is not what the church historically has celebrated in these four weeks. Now, I always feel real goofy going into the season, FYI, because I feel like I'm the Grinch every year. Like, you should hate gifts, everything else. If you're not worshiping in the cross for the next 25 days, you're going to hell. And, like, I don't know, like, and I just feel like that's not what I'm communicating. I, hear me. Gifts are good. Family is good. Watching your kids light up because you're taking them to Disneyland all awesome things. 
But what the culture is celebrating in hollowness, the church has historically celebrated with density. Meaning what the church is celebrating falls under two different categories. The church has said every year on the calendar, the four weeks leading up to to Christmas, we're going to celebrate two postures. The first posture we're going to take is we're going to look back and recognize there was a moment in time where the people of God didn't have December 25th. There was a moment amidst all of their frustration and the lives that they lived that they longed that something like Christmas would come along. They longed for a Messiah. There was a day as you read your Old Testament, the period in which the people of God continue to follow God are longing for Christmas Day, but they don't know what Christmas Day is. They're longing for the birth of a Messiah. So that's one side that the church historically celebrates in these four weeks. The second side is where we are currently. If you're a believer in here and you follow Jesus Christ, you have this peace and this joy that the world may not fully understand. And yet at the same time, you struggle and you're frustrated with the brokenness that you experience every day in the same way. You see it around you. You feel like, man, is this faith real? God, why are things like this? And so what we do during this period, what the church has done, is yes, the smiles are great. Yes, the food is great. We force our attention to go, no. There was a time where Jesus physically came to the earth, and we believe he one day will return. And so um, what the church did to turn the affections, turn the, the attention towards um, the real advent, the, the real thing that we should arrive, that should be arriving, which is the term advent. It just means arrival. It's the season of advent. The arrival of Jesus is historically um, has lit in candles. So let me explain this because you obviously might not be aware of this as well. The church has uh, lights four candles and then uh, ultimately a fifth. Uh, and these candles are meant to symbolize the density that we are trying to get at in celebrating Jesus at this time and not just um, the good things that Jesus gives. Because I need you to see the cultural narrative a little bit. As we understand these candles, listen, listen to what the, 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 the culture has done. It's flipped it on its head. It wants Christmas, but it doesn't want to celebrate Christ. It wants to celebrate the gifts, but it doesn't recognize the good gift giver. And so there's a hollowness about why do you do this? Why are you putting lights up? Why are you doing the tree? Why are you giving gifts away? There's an emptiness in the end that they will be let down. And we're trying to force our attention to go back. Those things are good because he's good. And so the, the, the four candles are lit to, to drive our attention towards that reality. And the first candle that we've lit, I lit in first service, is the candle of hope. That this morning, what we're going to talk about is how Jesus is the true hope. The second candle that we'll light is that ultimately Jesus is joy. That the joy that we find in Jesus Christ because we have been saved and he is our real rescue. The week after, we're going to light the candle of peace, which is symbolic of the fact that, that Jesus provides an ultimate and real rest that the world can't give us. And then lastly, the candle of love, which we'll talk about through covenant. Now, how we're going to do this is going to be a little bit goofy because... Um, If you've been coming long enough, you know, verse by verse, chapter by chapter is what we love to do. And it feels like the last three months we haven't done that. So it feels goofy. And even in the season of Advent, it's going to be a little more systematized. But we're going to use the book of Hebrews to get us there. And instead of just coming up here and rattling off verses to say, look at hope, look at hope, look at hope. Psalm says this about hope. Uh, Ephesians says this about hope. Hope, 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 hope. Joy, 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 joy. Love, 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 love. Instead of just doing that, we're going to draw our attention to the person of Jesus by looking and seeing how he fulfilled other stories. I need you to catch that. Right now, he's a true fulfillment of what Christmas is meant to be, 
So let's go look back in our Bibles and see how Jesus is really a fulfillment of the Old Testament stories. So let me, maybe that doesn't make sense. Let me explain it like this. Um, on Friday, uh, Candace and I went out to dinner with the Miles. We dropped the kids off at my in-laws, and, um, and then we went out. We went and saw Creed. Pretty dope. Um, and uh, got home. We got home at like 1030, and my phone starts blowing up, just going crazy. Um, and it's because Pinnacle uh, High School was playing Shadow Mountain High School in basketball. And I went to Shadow Mountain High School. So obviously I'm rooting for Shadow. And Pinnacle ended up winning. Uh, and uh, the, the way that it took place, the place was packed. I mean, all the videos that were sent to me or whatever. What ends up happening is, so Shadow's the best team in the state, ranked the best team in the state, as it should be. Uh, but Pinnacle has the best player in the state, Nico Mannion. And at the end of the game, Nico Mannion hit a, like a 25-footer buzzer beater off the glass, mind you. So I doubt he called bank. Um, but but he, he hits this game winner and Shadow loses, okay? So, of course, my phone's blown up. And in this moment, suddenly Nico Mannion is the best player to walk the earth. Um, the best player the state of Arizona has seen, Shadow Mountain's garbage. Of course, there's this huge overreaction. And as I was sitting here getting very angry about the texts that were coming in from friends of mine who went to Shadow with me and, and people who are my enemies, um, as, as I was reading this, there was this realization that this moment is blowing up Um, amidst the high school basketball world. But hear me when I say this. I promise you, Anna, my two-year-old, will not know who Nico Mannion is. She's going to have no clue about this buzzer beater. And here's the thing. She's not even going to care. Her life's not worse off because of it. But in this moment, we celebrate the now. But it's going to be forgotten. I was actually thinking about this this morning when I was putting on my shoes because uh, Manny and Jackie have bought me these socks, right? So one of the pairs of socks that they got got me was uh, the Biggie socks. They got me these Biggie socks when I was putting them on. Super dope, right? So here's the thing about Biggie. Uh, Biggie was a rapper, East Coast rapper, uh, and he's like, like rap game changer, okay? Everybody knew who Biggie was, at least growing up and in the circles that I ran in. But let me ask this question real quick. And it's okay. You'll feel a little bit judged, as you should be. But Raise your hand, and it's okay. I love you. Raise your hand if you have no idea who Notorious B.I.G. is. Raise your hand. It's okay. Okay. You see how crazy that is? You see what I'm saying? That's just crazy. Okay? If you were the, Now, listen. Now, now, what makes it worse is, so they got me a pair of the Biggies, and they also got me these pair of uh, Pac, Tupac uh, uh, socks, and I didn't want to come in just wearing the Biggie, so I, I wore one, Pac, uh, one Biggie sock and one Tupac sock. And so, um, now, now... Now, here's what's interesting. Both Biggie and Pac beefed real early uh, on in, like, uh, blowing up East Coast, West Coast rapping. If you're in the rap world at all today, you know who Biggie is and you know who Tupac is. There's no question. But further, I would argue Pac was probably more popular where we were because we're uh, West Coast. How many of you guys have no idea who Tupac is? It's okay. Raise your hand. I will judge you. Okay, less. Whew. Makes me feel a little bit about our, better about our sanctification as a church. Um, <laughs> Now, here, here's, here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. Um, these guys were like cultural icons for me growing up. Not just like, I mean, the world of rap changed. Like, people rallied around these dudes. And they ended up killing each other, and it was all bad. But here's, here's the point. Eve, when I got these socks, I said, I said, oh, look, this is Tupac, right? And she literally asked me, is that a new type of candy? That's what she asked me. <laughs> is Tupac, Tupac a, 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 a type of candy? Like, no, get out of my face. I can't talk to you anymore, okay? Now, now, hear me. Listen, the legacy of these men won't last unless you know the rap game. 
So here's what's interesting about what Jesus does in us recognizing at one point there wasn't a Christmas. We know the story of Adam. We know the story of Abraham. We know the story of David. We know the story of Jeremiah. Maybe you don't even know those stories. Maybe you could pick up pieces of Elijah and Jonah. Hear me. The only reason that there's validity to those stories, there is weight to those stories, is because those stories are pointing towards a greater story. We would not know or remember Adam or Jonah or David to the weight in which we give them unless it was for Jesus. Jesus is fulfilling those Old Testament stories. And so in the same way we can easily forget about Pac, we can easily forget about Biggie, unless there's tied to something bigger, i.e. rap that continues on, we're going to forget that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to use the Old Testament, uh, using the book of Hebrews predominantly, we're going to use the Old Testament to look back at how Jesus actually fulfilled that Old Testament story in the area of hope. Jesus actually fulfilled this Old Testament story in the area of joy, in the area of peace, in the area of love. And so I want to read something just so you can uh, uh, see this, in the book of Hebrews, which is what we're going to use pretty loosely as we kind of jostle back and forth. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. It says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. Now, just here, now he's specifically talking about the Levitical, uh, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy law. But in this law, those laws are a shadow of the true realities. That's the way that the author of Hebrews is painting this. So, with that said, let me put in front of you that this is not my idea, this is not the elder's idea, but Jesus himself, in providing hope, and showing us that he is the real hope, set out to prove the Old Testament stories are about him. Listen to this. Uh, and some people asked after this first service. I'll make sure we can get it up somehow. Matthew twenty six fifty four says this. How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? Matthew twenty six fifty six. two verses later. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Mark 14, 49. Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. Luke 18, 31. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, you are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. And Jesus drops a bomb in Mark 5, 39. He's talking to the people who know the Old Testament really well, which the writer of Hebrews assumes these Old Testament stories, and it's okay if you don't. We'll talk through them in detail, uh, um, assuming nobody knows these stories. But listen to what uh, Jesus says in John 5, 39. He says this, You search the Scriptures, talking about the Old Testament stories, the Old Testament Scriptures, the prophets. You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the Scriptures point to me. So he says in this moment, you're searching, you're reading these stories of Samson and David and yes and amen, but I'm telling you, they're shadows, they're pointing towards what I am the reality of. And what you'll notice is intentionally is we have each candle on bricks and we hope that, that there's a symbol uh, of density to all that, that you can see that. And then ultimately Christmas Eve coming out of the stump of Jesse, we'll light the Christ candle, which we'll put on there on Christmas Eve. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter one. If you haven't already, um, Again, we're going we're gonna to try to unpack this as much as we can, but we're going to um, take a little more of a systematic approach as we go through this, okay? So this was, uh, it says, Hebrews chapter 1. We're honestly going to go through probably not even all the way verse through verse 3. Um, I'll try to get as much as I can done. It says this, Long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So let's start our story, the narrative that we're familiar with, maybe some of us all too familiar with, is the story of creation. And my hope is to show you that Jesus ultimately is the fulfillment of what creation was uh, meant to set out for, meaning this. Um, we're probably familiar with the colliding of nitrogen and oxygen and the creating of water and the trees and the grass. We might be aware of the fact that God made the plants and the animals and, and, and microclimates. He did all of this and put all this in place. What we might miss in the narrative, the important part of the story is, as he creates all the, these things, he doesn't just then randomly create a being, but he creates a being to oversee all the things in which he created. So verse 28, which is a very popular verse, says this, being, be fruitful, this is God's command to uh, uh, man. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. Two words that stick out, the words subdue and have dominion. Here's God, he makes man. The word Adam just means mankind in Hebrew. He makes man, and this is important, to represent mankind to creation and to God. He says, I'm going to make you to subdue the earth. I want you to represent mankind in how creation is to be made. And so Adam begins to name the animals. He eventually gets Eve, but here's what we know to be true. Adam ends up choosing not God. He ends up choosing death and as a representative fails. So this is a story that we know. If you're not familiar with it, you can read just Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And you can see the curses that come out of this. Adam fails as a representative. Again, just Adam means mankind. He represents mankind. From that point, picking up the pieces in the Old Testament as you read it, are people throbbing with the idea of one declaration Please give us a new representative. What Adam has given us, the way he was supposed to cultivate life, has failed. Give us a new representative. And they, they over and over plead this. And so what happens is, the first advent, people who are waiting for the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, that's the Messiah, it's Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, as they're waiting for the first advent, their hope is that they would have a conquering king, an ultimate warrior, someone to put together and represent them where Adam failed. Now, I need you to, t- t- to get excited about the second coming of Jesus Christ, but to understand the second coming, we've got to see what was going on in the people of God in the first coming. Listen to the promises that God gives these people about this first advent, this first coming of the Messiah, who's going to be a better representation than Adam was. Listen to this. In Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. In Daniel 7, 13 and 14, it says this, I saw in the night vision and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, and it goes on to describe it. Numbers 24, 17, it says this, I see him, but not now. This is the people were waiting. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter, which symbolizes authority, shall rise out of Israel. Essentially, this someone, this Messiah, this better representation is going to put his staff in the sand and go, fixed. 
It's better. His authority. We're not done. Listen to Psalm 110 verses uh, 1 through uh, 3. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That is a huge statement. Someone waiting for the Messiah. Here we are, the people of God. The world is broken. We're trying to follow you, but we've been taken into captivity. People are beating us up. We're losing war. We need a general that won't lose. We need someone who's going to step up and lead us that is undefeated. We need a goat. We need to go. We need someone to come on the scene and be the greatest of all time. We need someone to help us. And this is the declaration. Sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies a footstool. This is what's declared about the coming Messiah. And their heart begins to beat. In Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. You see, I'm going to give you this kingdom. I'm going to give this Messiah this authority, and he's going to fix it. He'll be a better president. He'll be a better emperor. He'll be a better pharaoh. He will be a better ruler. He's a better representation of mankind than Adam was. He needs to represent us, and this is what the people of God are waiting for. And so when we read... In Hebrews chapter 1, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. They're speaking of this next part. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son. They're they're speaking in declaration that the son is going to come. And and ultimately, you need to hear how this happens. Look again at verse, uh, the end of verse 2. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. This is so money. The author of Hebrews is like, jabbing and poking at this in recognition that the heir of all things Adam was to represent, but ultimate, the ultimate heir of all things is found in Jesus Christ. That he is going to take all that's lost and he's going to take all that needs to be there. And not only that, but if he's the radiance of the glory of God, he's there in Genesis. He was there from the jump. And so here we have the people are crying out over and over, Messiah come, Messiah come. The last one, Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf, unstu- deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. What ultimately we see in these prophecies is yes and amen to power. Yes and amen to a conquering warrior. Yes and amen to all the things that the people of God would hope physically would happen. But more than anything, what we see is the, the, the driving force of this new Messiah who's going to come, this, this kingdom that is going to come, is that he is bringing a better life than Adam gave us. And this is exactly what John chapter 1 tells us. So we had a lot of text. Go ahead and open there. L- look, at, look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. We're familiar with that. You can see in verse 14, if you want to look it up, Jesus ultimately is this word as it became flesh. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Stop. Do you hear that? The declaration about Jesus is that in him, again, listen, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What we see throughout the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ declaring his true gospel, the word he continues to put in front of us is, is the idea of life. This is something he preaches on. Listen, 
Matthew 7, 14. This is Jesus preaching. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. John 6, 27. This is Jesus preaching. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Matthew 10, 39. He who finds life, uh, his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He even speaks of himself about being a greater life. Listen to this. In John 3, 36, he says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. In John 6, 35 and 48, he calls himself the bread of life. In John 14, 6, he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. In John 11, 25 through 26, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. But more than anything, what he's doing as he brings about his kingdom, as he brings about this life, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it, this ultimate life, this light that is shining, it's its juxtaposition, juxtaposition constantly against false lights, or the way he words it, and we're going to read here in a second, darkness. So the story we read in Genesis starts out beautifully, but it just goes downhill after chapter 2. I mean, the, like, Adam, as our representative, chose to listen. He grasped for divinity, and he chose to listen to the serpent, and he failed as a representative. And in doing so, we find the killing of Cain and Abel, the Tower of Babel, the flooding of the earth. It's just all bad. And Jesus is saying, I'm bringing a true life, a real life, a better life. Juxtapositioning to, listen to this, these two verses together, which I believe we have on the screen. John 8, 12 and John 10, 10. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Verse uh, John 10, 10. The thief does not come to kill or, uh, except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come to give or that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So let's stop. That's a lot to digest. I understand. Let me, let me try to boil down what I think we're trying to get at in lighting the candle of hope in this season of Advent and where we're to turn our attention. The fulfillment of hope that the people of God are looking for in the Old Testament, we would argue ultimately is found in Jesus. He is the Messiah. And this is what you would know. But more than him just saving your soul, he fulfills what tr- truly is human. So let me read a quote from John Frame, uh, which uh, we have. This is from a a theologian named John Frame. And this is important because he's going to break up this bottom part into two sections that I think we can see. So redemption should be interpreted as God's reparation of Adam's failure, failure and fulfillment of his original creation mandate through the second Adam, Jesus the Messiah. Okay, so just to be clear, that first part, this is a little bit dense, but the first part, what he's saying is the way that we should interpret God's uh, redemption, the way that he's going to redeem the earth is that ultimately... He is, and is it the reparation of Adam's fail, failure, that Adam failed, that God is restoring what Adam brought upon the earth through sin, that Adam failed, and God is restoring that idea, and it's restored through Jesus the Messiah. Whereas the first Adam betrayed his heavenly father and fell into sin, that's Adam in, the, in Genesis, by snatching after divinity, the second Adam proved his perfect loyalty all the way to the cross. Now, the effects, Frame is going to say there's two effects of this. The fact that Adam failed and Jesus succeeded, right? Like Adam fails in a, this is, listen, just some of the parallels, right? Adam in a garden fails. Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane, succeeds. Jesus goes to the desert and succeeds in fasting. There's all these parallels that we see. But listen to this. And by his perfect life, talking about Jesus, and spotless sacrifice, Jesus became uh, a, a vicarious atonement for sin and undid the evil that the first Adam initiated. 
that first sentence right there as, as the response to what he had just said is something we all know. What, what he just described, that first part that's the yellow but not underlined, is ultimately because of Jesus' spotless sacrifice, we now have, in, in declaring this, atonement. We now will spend eternity with God because of what Jesus did if we accept that atoning work. Okay, it's the second part that we miss when it comes to following Jesus and how he truly fulfills Adam. Moreover, the second Adam is currently fulfilling the original mandate God had given to humanity. Do you hear what he just said? By frame's perspective, theologically, we should not just see Adam as someone who saves our soul, but someone we look to, to follow for true life. You want to know why this is important? Because there's a darkness that desires to kill, steal, and destroy. There's false lights that has other ideas. But Jesus is filling what Adam should have done. Jesus is fulfilling true humanity. We follow Jesus, not just as God, yes and amen to that, who's someone who saves our soul, but is the perfect human. He cultivates creation in such a way that we look and go, yes and amen. That's the way it's supposed to be. His kingdom is the way the world is meant to operate. Do you understand how this plays together that Jesus is fulfilling this? And yet here we are wrestling for the next four weeks with the way that the world wants to celebrate Advent and the way that Jesus has called us to celebrate Advent in his word. That we are to wait with a longing expectation that he's going to return, make things new, make them the way that we feel like they are in our heart but we get caught up in idol after idol after idol. Our tension's here, and it's awesome. I'm glad you're here. But what's going to happen is, I know it. I, I, listen, I know it because I'm going to do it. I'm going to get excited about this or that and the life that I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to make a little bit better, that life. It's going to make it, if I could just get that, if I could just do this. And so, so let's just stop. Let's do this as an exercise. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to take a moment, and I want you to think this. Um, and I'll give you a couple seconds of silence here. What do you think will make your life better? Like, what do you think is going to make your life better? And it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Like, to start small, maybe if you got a new TV, you'd be like, yeah, I think that would be awesome. New car. Maybe a new house. If you're able to move somewhere. Kind of ramp it up, though. Maybe if you were to finally find that, the one, the spouse, your life would be so much better. Maybe if you got to live out your sexual fantasies, do that with her, do that with him, maybe your life would be better. Maybe if your spouse actually started acting this way, your life, it would just be so much better. Maybe if you had a different spouse, your life would be better. Man, man let's, let's, let's keep ramping it up. Maybe you believe, as long as there's a Republican or Trump in office, you really believe your life in the area of comfort will be better. Or, or man, maybe vice versa. If Trump wasn't in office and there were more non-Republicans, more Democrats in, in office, man, we would actually have racial unity. If there was racial unity, man, my life would be better. Now hear me, most of the things I just named are beautiful yes and amen things to his kingdom. Like, yes and amen. You're looking for a spouse, God has given you that desire, yes and amen to that. You want reconciliation between you and a coworker, or you maybe want a new career, or whatever. yes and amen to that. But hear me, that thing cannot hold up the weight of hope. It can't. 
it will crush. And if, if you don't get that thing, if that thing doesn't come, and you ultimately collapse within yourself because you thought that thing would bring you a better life, or worse, you get it and realize it doesn't, hear me, it was never meant to provide you the life you thought it was supposed to. The gift is amazing, but without the giver, it's going to collapse. And so we're focusing our attention on the true life giver, Jesus Christ. And in following him and where he calls us to, living into his kingdom, ultimately, we recognize all other idols pull away life. Let me uh, uh, quote um, Pope Francis, uh, which I know is dangerous after five weeks of talking about the five solas um, and how we weren't down for the cause the Catholic agenda at the time, but I think this was good. And there's obviously things I don't agree with him on, but I think this is truth. Listen to what he had said. He was doing over the summer, he was doing these sermons on the Ten Commandments. And so he started talking about idols and and how it correlates to life. Listen to this. Everything can be used as an idol. We are talking about a human tendency that does not spare believers or atheists. The human being doesn't live without centering himself on something. So here is a world that offers a supermarket of idols, which can be objects, images, ideas, roles. The idols promise life, but in reality, they take it. The true God does not ask for life, but gives it. You seeing that? Tell me you haven't gotten that thing before. We see this in our kids. So maybe it's not a thing. Maybe maybe it's an experience or a relationship, but you can see the way your life is playing out in your kids. Meaning, so I asked Eve, I keep using my, I'll just stick with my daughter. She's not old enough to remember this anyway. So my, my daughter, my five-year-old daughter Eve, I said, do you remember what you were excited about last Christmas to get? Can you tell us one thing you were excited about uh, getting last Christmas? She could not name one thing. And I said, okay, tell me five things you want this Christmas. Boom. Like Easy. And here's what she can't click in her mind. Next year, she will not be able to name one of the five things. Now we say, well, duh, those things are fleeting. Hear me. So are the grown-up things, y'all. The big things we're trying to put our hope in and get excited about are good, but without the density, the bricks under the hope that Jesus provides, it's going to leave us shallow, hollow, empty, left. That's how it is. That these idols promise and they're good, but listen, we cannot stake our life on them. So my prayer, our prayer would be that we focus our attention on the true hope of Jesus Christ. That he ultimately gives life. He succeeds where Adam fails. Let me read something from Spurgeon and then I'm going to pray for us. He's talking about this idea of life and it's at the end of his sermon. So that's why he starts the way that he does. My time has gone. The subject is too large for me. Only this I conclude. If you need life, you must get it from Christ. If you need more life, you must go do the same. You must go to, to the same place. Do not look to Christ for the beginnings and then something uh, somewhere else for the ending. Christ has come that you may have more life. Come to him by faith. Do not look to ceremonies or outward services or anything else for growing for the growth in grace apart from Jesus, but fly to him and he will give it to you and you shall be rich in bliss. If we would go to Christ and hear me, I'm talking to those of you who don't follow Jesus and to those of you who do. Let's go to Jesus Christ for the true life, true hope that's found in him. Let's pray.
Father, thanks so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and your grace. Thanks for the season of waiting that we have to um, sit on and recognize that you at one point did arrive. And so we put our mindset in that, waiting for Christmas Eve for you to be born. And yet we recognize that one day you will arrive again, the second advent. We celebrate that in this time. We recognize that prophets spoke about this long ago, but now, Jesus, you spoke to us. We recognize that you are the heir of all things, that creation is summed back up in you. It is under your authority, your scepter. We're thankful for that, that we follow you, the king of the universe. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.